This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. So, Eric, I have this amazing colleague named Josh Green, who's the national correspondent for Bloomberg Businessweek. Um, he wrote a book about Steve Bannon and Donald Trump a couple years ago called Devil's Bargain. He does a lot of work for Bloomberg Businessweek, the magazine that I'm editor of. Uh, and he came to me with an idea recently that made me want to bring him on the podcast. It's in the current issue of the magazine. Um, and it's about uh, an ETF company called Second Vote Advisors. Have you heard of them? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, they, I think they have two funds out. I remember the filings. But there's been a couple type companies like this, and they sometimes blend together. And uh, largely, they just sort of go right to oblivion. Um, so they're not on our radar a lot. But uh, I do. it does sort of ring a bell, if you will. Um, and I think one so, of them's uh, what pro-life and the other one's pro-gun. And there's going to be another one that comes out next month. Um, and what was interesting about this, obviously, the the strategy here is to appeal to uh, a sort of more of a right wing uh, style of politics than you would probably usually see in investing. And we've actually done a version of this story on Trillions a couple years ago around the MAGA ETF, that ticker. Um, how has that one fared historically? Yeah, so I remember that was with Rachel Evans. She went to Dallas. That was one of our field reports that uh, we need to do more of, by the way. Those are really great. Yeah, um, it was like from the from the before times. Yeah, so look, the MAGA ETF uh, hasn't done much. I mean, talk about, I remember when that filing hit and I tweeted out the ticker, everybody went crazy and it obviously broke through in a marketing sense, but it didn't really gather much assets. You know why? Because it tends to be uh, light tech and heavy like industrials and energy. Um, so for the most part, it's underperformed. That said, there was a time in the first quarter and, and this year in general where tech, especially in the Q1, um, really lagged and uh, energy and industrials were coming back and those value stocks. So I, I actually wrote a note saying that MAGA was actually an ironically backdoor way to play the Biden presidency because that there had been a shift in the sector. So I would say that if you wanted an industrial oily kind of play that doesn't have tech, uh, MAGA will work in that regard. I don't know if anybody would use it for that, but it actually has this sort of other purpose, in my opinion. But uh, it is about beating the S&P this year uh, by a little bit, but it's been destroyed lifetime by about 38 percentage points, largely because it doesn't have any tech. This time on Trillion, the rise of the anti-woke ETF. Okay, Josh, welcome to Trillions. Great to be with you. Dan Grant, what's his pitch? So Dan Grant is a former JP Morgan banker, conservative guy who I know through politics, who last year uh, started up a company called Second Vote Advisors. And the idea basically is to 
pitch uh, you know, right-leaning ETF products to balance out what he and his colleagues feel is the, a kind of galloping on Wall Street toward ESG, uh, woke liberalism. Dan thinks that this is uh, bad politics, but more important, bad investment. And so uh, he and his company, which has some conservative luminaries on the board, uh, are rolling out a series uh, of ETFs to try and appeal to that conservative MAGA audience. And how's it going so far? Well, it isn't an entirely new idea. You know, as you guys had said in the intro, uh, you know, there was a MAGA fund rolled out in 2017. Uh, there was another uh, ETF that came out, I think, last year, American Conservative Values Fund. So people have had the idea before of trying to sell financial products to, you know, a Trump-friendly MAGA crowd. And if you look at the huge inflows into ETFs over the last year or so, and especially, you know, ESG... There does seem to be an audience um, of consumers who have at least a kind of a political awareness. I mean, so far, it seems to be more geared toward environment and social justice and not so much right-leaning stuff. But Dan's belief is that, uh, you know, there are a lot of conservatives out there who are going to want products that that both reflect their personal and political views and, and can also turn a profit. That's the pitch. Uh, now, having said that, as I say in the piece, none of these funds has managed to amass more than $35 million. So they're still trying to get off the ground. And yeah. I, I think that that's actually like an interesting point because so much money, as Eric and I've talked about before, has gone into ESG, right? And, and Eric, so when you, when you think about that, because you're no fan of ESG ETFs, by the way. I'm not. Generally speaking, I'm not. Um, well, I, I don't care how people want to invest. I mean, if you want to invest with your values one way or the other, I don't. I mean, I don't mind. I, I just think they're not practical. Um, and it, it usually practical and and returns trump everything or cost. No pun intended. Uh, not your values. I think people like to exercise their values at the polls or you know writing or in other ways or you know in their spare time. Um, the ESG funds. I, the problem I have with those is is they're they're sort of trying to dislodge Vanguard from the core of your portfolio, and no one is really going to let go of a three basis point like total market fund. It's too good a deal, even if you do believe in these things. The other thing with ESG, I, I feel like they're selling the feeling of doing something good, like oh we're not going to hold energy stocks, but then they fly off on vacation. They have an SUV. I mean, honestly, I feel like it's almost um, uh, like a uh, insincere form of slacktivism, and there's no evidence that it will actually return better. Like their academic studies have not been able to show that ESG investing does better. But the media eats it up. They love ESG. It gets it's the most press per assets that I've ever seen in the history of ETFs. And about forty percent of the ESG ETF assets are BlackRock moving the funds into their own model portfolios. So there's actually not even a lot of grassroots interest. But there is more than the right leaning stuff. I will say. But that said, I could see why if you're on the right, because I have people who aren't even political on Twitter who are a little annoyed about the ESG sort of um, high hat thing going on where it's like, <laughs> we're doing good, we're doing great, you know, we're changing the world. And I don't know, I think a lot of people smell bullshit in it. Yeah, and I, and I think that's, I think it's part of, part of the second vote advisor's pitch is that, li listen, Everybody says politics and, and, and investing don't mix, but but look at what's happening with ESG. You know, they're, they're, they've become slaves to this idea of of, of being kind of woke and, and uh, foregrounding social justice, that whole kind of thing. 
that's not the way to go. I mean, my sense in talking to Dan Grant and the people around him is that, you know, they're offended by that uh, politically, um, but also that they think that it's it's bad business. I mean, one of the things that Grant talks about a lot is that he believes in, uh, you know, Milton Friedman's famous dictum about the only job uh, of corporations is to make money for its shareholders. And if you're busy, as Dan says to me in the piece, donating to Black Lives Matter or trying to save the planet, uh, then you're not focused on your shareholders. So, uh, you know, I think the interesting question with these funds, though, I mean, you point out that they haven't gotten a lot of traction is, is this an investment vehicle or is it really another means of political expression? Because I think part of the inherent pitch in this, and one of the reasons why we're seeing so much activity around Trump and investing, right? He's got his SPAC. You can buy non-fungible Trump tokens. We've got a Bitcoin ETF. There are all sorts of ways that you can kind of begin to express things. I think there's a feeling that everything in American life has become so hyper-politicized. Dan Grant would say, you know, why shouldn't ETFs too? And I think it's a fair question to raise. Yeah, I you know, and sports in particular and entertainment, it is unfortunate. Uh, used to be these places you could hide out and investing was one of those places where <laughs> you could just escape the po- politics used to just be in politics, but just the way it is, I guess. Um, and I, I think to your point about um, ESG, th- there's two ways to pitch both of these things. It's just like you can do better return wise or you can express your values. So when I think of the expressing of the values, I think that when uh, when people really think deep down, do I really want to like you know potentially lag the S and P? Because if you do charts, it, let's say you get five percent of the S and P five hundred seven percent every year, that's going to end up being like like so much money difference over like 10, 20, 30 years. You would probably hate yourself. Then that said, the other side of the coin is if you go in thinking it will outperform and it doesn't, it's almost like betting on an active manager back in the day. And it's just so difficult to outperform. And most of these funds have decent, you know, pretty high expense ratios. So to me, a lot of this is almost like just new active. Instead of hiring a T. Rowe price manager to pick stocks based on fundamentals and paying 75 bips, you're hiring second vote to go and screen these companies for political wokeism. And you're paying them 75 bips. I mean, you're, you might outperform, you might not. And ultimately, though, it, the odds are and the numbers show you will not. So, Josh, actually talk to us about how they decide what they put into their ETFs. Well, so this is this is surprisingly controversial. Um, as I'm sure you guys know, as as political observers, there's a lot of infighting among Republicans about who is a genuine Republican and who is a rhino, a Republican in name only. Uh, And what's kind of funny about the different uh, right-leaning, you know, MAGA-type ETFs is that each one of them has a different measuring uh, stick for what constitutes an authentically conservative fund. And they all differ and they all kind of bicker with each other. So uh, Second Vote Advisors, I think, probably has the most sophisticated one, although it's often difficult to understand. Uh, The company grew out of a nonprofit that was started by a guy named David Black back in 2012, a conservative who became upset when he gave money at the supermarket to March of Dimes and then found out later on that March of Dimes, I guess, gives grants to Planned Parenthood and that offended his values. So he started a nonprofit. I mean, we're talking like this, the pennies that you put at the register. at the ready. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, hey, you know, I love that, got, that set them off. We've yeah. all got our trigger points, right? 
And and so what he did was he took a bunch of money, uh, independently wealthy guy, and he started an outfit that rates every company in the S&P 500 according to his proprietary scale of whether the company is liberal or conservative. And that's based on uh, it can be, you know, uh, political donations, corporate policies, you know, whether the CEOs say nice things about Black Lives Matter, that kind of thing. Uh, whether they give grants to outfits like Planned Parenthood to try and detect and rate like where they where they rank on a scale, and then what 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 the the group does is they send by certified letter they send their reports to the boards of all fifteen hundred companies. There's you know no no idea if anybody ever opens these letters, but this is what they do. They go out there and you know they've they've had these crusades against Nike for I'm quoting here denigrating the American flag. Uh, they put out reports on Walt Disney um, because the Muppet Babies TV show they allege promotes gender confusion in youth. So these you know hardcore kind of kind of conservatives here trying to influence conservative spending habits without any real evidence that it's working. Uh, but what was interesting was last year they decided, hey, you know, we're going to start the second vote advisors. We're going to try and make money doing this. And, and the vehicle we're going to use are these conservative ETFs. And then uh, the way I first found them was the way they're trying to reach retail investors is, you know, they're not going so much to investment advisors who are going to like put them in a fund that Eric would like three bip Vanguard 500. They're going on right wing talk radio. Dan Grant is railing against woke corporations like Nike and Coca-Cola and trying to get those fired up talk radio listeners to invest some of their retirement money in a second vote ETF. And, you know, last I think I checked before this piece went to press, yeah, they were up somewhere around $50 million you know, in a year, they were, they were kind of gaining, not a huge fund, but not nothing. And I think the hope is, especially now that Democrats are in charge and Joe Biden is president, is that they can somehow find a way to kind of harness that Trump energy that's been so powerful in our culture in other ways and get people to use it to buy their products. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents. People who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Josh, something interesting you said earlier is the Disney, like the conservative ETF doesn't yeah. want Disney in there. Well, the, I remember we interviewed the uh, woman who's behind the vegan ETF, which I would assume mm. is sort of left leaning. That doesn't hold Disney. And we, I, I think we asked her, I think it was something about the animals uh, usage in the movies and maybe at the theme park. They didn't like that. Um, but uh. it's interesting that there's probably a couple companies that they both agree on that are good. And maybe some they both agree are bad for different reasons. And this is so very subjective, I think. 
But I got a great, I mean, you're right. It's entirely subjective. And one of the reasons these conservative funds are bickering is that they measure different ways, right? So the, uh, Hal Lambert, the guy who runs the MAGA ETF, he measures it based, very simple metric. Do you give more money to Democrats or Republicans? Well, what's interesting is they disagree on specific companies. And one I mentioned in the piece uh, is Goldman Sachs. And so these conservatives at Second Vote Advisors are happy to have Goldman Sachs you know, in, in, in one of their funds because, you know, it doesn't offend their right to life stuff or what have you. Whereas Hal Lampert calls me up and says, these guys are total rhinos, total fakes, because Goldman gave more money to Democrats than Republicans last cycle. How can they call themselves conservative? So you're right. It's completely arbitrary at the end of the day, what gets called conservative and what goes into these funds. But, but really what they're trying to do, and I think Grant's branding on this, is to try and capture a slice of that anti-woke energy you see roiling in conservative politics and direct some of that energy toward their products. Man, it is such a yin and yang to the ESG because ESG, if you ask 10 ESG analysts, is Tesla ESG? Five will say yes, five will say no. They'll have an argument. And Amazon, some think Amazon does great things, but then they treat their workers like crap. Uh, it, this subjectivity is exactly, it, the whole thing is one big mirror. I think, and ESG, I think, is also trying to tap into the reverse energy, which is corporations are bad. They only want to make money. These are trying to do good things. And there's there's a very, they're almost like the same ends. What am I trying to say? That the same size of, two sides of the same They're coin. mirror images. No, that's, ex yes. that's, ex that's exactly right. It's funny. My way of coming into this, I write mainly about politics, was the bickering among the different MAGA advisors sort of mirrors the bickering among Republican politicians about who is closer to Trump and who can show more fealty and, you know, like that's the currency in Republican politics these days. But it's funny because it really is a, a mirror of kind of what's going on with ESG. It all comes down to, you know, how do you how do you define what it is, what you're gunning for? And everybody does it in the way that is, you know, self-serving and everybody is going out there stabbing their rivals in the back, trying to convince you that they're the phonies, that they're the authentic ones. And it's the same thing playing out in finance that I see playing out in politics. I think the common denominator between everything we're talking about is purity. It's like there's a purity test. Remember on the Democratic primary, um, Warren and Buttigieg got into that over the purity. She was like, oh, you had you had a um, uh, one of those uh, fundraisers and you all bought like 400 bottles of wine with like millionaires. Oh, in the cave, like, right. I remember. Yeah, that. in the yeah, cave, the right. Cave. He's like, look, is this a purity test? Like, are we going to have to all live in the woods and like not do, you know? And so there is this sort of thing of like, how pure are you in this sort of cause that you take up? And that's what a problem with some of the ESG funds that are popular is they hold a lot of regular stocks because people want to have something close to the S&P so they don't underperform, but then you end up holding Facebook and JP Morgan and you're not pure, you're fake, get out of here. Yeah. Okay, I got to throw another company out here, Exxon. How how, do, how does everybody in this, uh, you know, this universe feel about Exxon, Josh? I mean, look, if you're asking me, you know, uh, fossil fuel, hydrocarbon, that, that would rate as an old school conservative company. And yet... Second vote on their on their rating scale considers both Exxon and Chevron liberal companies. So going back again to the idea that all of this is entirely subjective. I mentioned that to a liberal friend who works on climate and like his head exploded. He's like, wait, wait, wait what? You know, you know, the idea that Wall Street is this bastion of of, of of out of control rampant liberalism driven by hippie companies like ExxonMobil, like just didn't didn't compute with him. I don't think it would compute with a lot of people. 
Hey, by the way, um, why does life hold BlackRock? I mean, BlackRock's like the biggest pusher of ESG uh, funds there is. I think the answer is because um, they apparently don't violate the social screen on abortion or, mm. or, or right to life that Second Vote Advisors is applying on that fund. I mean, Dan was was uh, Dan Grant was you know, a little, little defensive when I pointed some of this out, but he said, I think in fairness, look, like for this fund, we apply this screen. And if companies make it through that screen, we're going to pick the ones that we think are going to perform best. And it may be that, you know, or I guess it is that he thinks BlackRock is going to going to do a good job and perform well and is is kosher on the issue in this particular fund. Whereas if it were like a anti-climate fund or something like that, you probably wouldn't see him in there. Okay. So another interesting element here is that especially with MAGA, for instance, like the, the goal here was to appeal to a retail audience. And, and, and I, so I suppose that sort of happened also with the, uh, the Trump uh, Digital World Acquisition Corp SPAC, you know, the Trump SPAC that happened. Like, I mean, there was like a retail fervor for this mm-hmm. in this kind of the age of meme stocks. But the other thing that your article goes into is that um, Dan Grant and, and Second Vote seems to think that there might be an institutional dollar that they could attract right so so what's what do they see on that front so this is a great point i mean as 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 uh you know eric has explained in the past you you need to reach a certain scale to be viable and it's not clear you know you need you know grant says they're going to need 150 dollars assets under management in order to remain a going concern it's not at all clear that you're going to get that through the retail investor right it hasn't really worked yet with these funds um, but what 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 he is eyeing at second vote advisors are a lot of these uh, Republican led red state pension funds, where you have politicians in these states who are you know adamantly anti liberal, anti woke, and so Grant has been traveling around the country. He met last week with uh, Arizona's Republican treasurer. He's met with uh, pension funds, I think uh, state pension funds in Louisiana and Missouri. And last week, he was down in Orlando talking to a gathering of state treasurers, trying to basically appeal to their political beliefs and say, listen, you guys should be investing in my funds because I'm against all these anti-woke companies and you're against them too. And if he were able to tap into those institutional dollars, well, that could be a real game changer, I think, for his company. One, One of the interesting things that I see in politics is I don't think that that's a crazy belief to have, right? If you look at a state like Texas, uh, Governor Abbott there has gone after, has passed laws, you know, banning specific uh, bank uh, banks and, and bank practices because they've taken ESG stands against fossil fuels or guns. And just last week in Florida, uh, Ron DeSantis, the Republican governor, I think a uh, possibly a 2024 Republican uh, front runner for president or at least candidate for president gave a speech to the Florida Chamber of Commerce in which he blasted, quote, the rise of woke capitalism. And he said, and I quote, if you're using your power as a corporation and you're leveraging that to try and advance an ideology, I think it's going to be very dangerous for the country and I'm not just going to sit idly by. So the Republican governor of Florida is like threatening Florida businesses over woke capitalism. To me, that says that this has salience in Republican circles among Republican politicians so who's to say that, you know, at some point in the near future, we might see red state Republicans trying to push the teacher's fund or the firefighter's fund or whatever in their state 
to invest in companies like Second Vote Advisors. And that's certainly something that uh, Dan Grant is gunning for. Yeah, uh, two things I want to uh, dive into there with what you were talking about, Josh, was interesting, which is first is just portfolio practicality. I think if you're an institution, I mean, if you have a lot of money, you usually can get a lot cheaper than 75 basis points. Mm-hmm. I would wonder if Dan would offer maybe an SMA. I Honestly, the ESG ETFs that do the best are the ones below 20. In fact, ESG didn't take off at all until the category got vanguarded and became below 20. Vanguard came in at like 13 bips and then BlackRock followed. Mm -hmm. Now it exploded because advisors and institutions just don't want to pay. They know that cost will really mess up their return. So has, did he talk about the, the fee? If, I mean, it's really high. Yeah, for that's, that's a great point. One of the things that they're working on rolling out are indexes that would essentially be, you know, have much lower fees, but also more closely track some of the benchmarks you were talking about earlier. So you don't wind up with these very actively managed portfolios. Instead, you have, you know, hypothetically, the S&P 500 minus, you know, the, the, the companies that are mean to Donald Trump and ban him from Twitter and the companies that, you know, won't invest in, in, in guns or whatever, subtract those out. Maybe that at a much lower fee is something that you can sell to, you know, a Florida or a Louisiana or a Texas pension fund at some point. Or an advisor. And that's exactly what they do on the ESG side. That's when it started working. If you, but then again, that's not pure. It would not pass anybody's purity test. If I showed you ESGU, the biggest ESG ETF there is, Facebook is in the top 10, uh, Exxon's in there. Most people seeking ESG would be not into that. But on the flip side, advisors and other people also don't want to have tracking errors. So those two things are always going to be opposed. But I will say you can move more product if you're cheaper and look more like the S&P. On the other mm-hmm. point, though, is this idea of like all these people just – wanting to affect things. I mean, I just, so much conversation is on the investor instead of the consumer. You just not shop there, not use Google. There are other search engines. Don't use Twitter. Um, And same thing on the ESG front. I wonder how many ESG investors have actually curbed their oil use or they don't use Netflix or Amazon, which are excluded from plenty of funds. Um, I think a lot of this is just like a sort of, I hate to say it, like a lazy way. And how much does this really matter? Like, if you don't own Twitter, someone else is going to buy it if it has a good valuation. On the flip side, there was an article on Bloomberg this week about how BlackRock divesting from coal companies um, actually provided opportunity for other investors. Because again, the demand's still there until you actually curb the actual demand. So if I was advising people to invest with your values, I would actually really move them more towards their power as a consumer and as a voter. I think those two things are much more powerful. And then just just you know, live with your beta and exercise those influences through your the voting and through your own pocketbook. I don't know. Is that crazy? No, I. You know the funny the funny example to me again coming at this through Republican politics is uh, the greatest example I can think of of the difficulty of following through on those kind of boycotts was uh, back when he was in the White House. Donald Trump um, got angry at, at Coca Cola. I think I think it had to do uh, with, with something in the state of Georgia. And he said, we're going to boycott Coca-Cola. And like two days later, a press photographer snapped a picture of his desk and there's a can of Coke right there. So even he couldn't adhere to his own boycott. I think that, that's why, though, I think that part of, part of what these funds are going for isn't this pure investment play, even if they present themselves this way. It is, it is to offer themselves up as a means of political expression. You know, you're listening to Sebastian Gorka's talk radio show, the Trump kind of crazy right-wing Trump advisor who got fired and, 
you know, he's got a got a radio show now, and you hear him railing against woke capitalism. And, you know, this company comes on and says, "Hey, buy our ETFs. Let's stick it to these woke companies." Yeah, who knows? Maybe you know, you click here, you click there, boom, buy you know, buy ten thousand dollars worth. You've done it. You feel good about yourself. Is it a smart investment? Yeah, maybe not. But I think that's that's what they're looking for. This isn't the kind of green eye shades. What's going to earn me the best return? It's a, how do I tap into that political anger? And I think we see that on both sides of the aisle and all kinds of, of, of funds now, whether it's you know woke ESG or anti-woke second vote advisors. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. So, Eric, have you ever heard about the, you know, them going for institution money like this? Have you ever, have you ever uh, come across anybody else in the ETF landscape that's attempted to to do something like that and kind of crack a different category? Well, BlackRock has been effective at getting institutions in their ESG funds. In fact, that's where a good chunk of money comes from. But they're they're pricing them at like twelve basis points, and it's usually like a European institution and. It's a fund that will keep will have little tracking error. So if I show when I, we had a webinar and we had our ESG analyst Adeline from Europe on, and she does not like ESGU. To her, it's not pure; doesn't really do anything. It just it. I think it allows that uh, institution to check a box, but they might argue, well, um, we can't have tracking error. So what this does is it gives us real pretty good tracking, but it does tilt a little towards what we want. And it's almost like that's why we have uh, spectrum scores for all ETFs, whether it's value or ESG, just like alcohol content on a beer. You need to know if it's like, <laughs> you know, Odul's at zero or like one of these like German beers, like 12% alcohol level or an IPA in the middle. And that is to me what, what you need here. So that way a person a- approaching this, whether they want to do a political expression or to perform, knows I want the watered down version. I'm cool with just you know, that way I can track the market or I want the hardcore one. But the watered down one has to be cheap, and that's the one the institution will typically buy. But also, MAGA, the MAGA guy and the Second Amendment guy—they're not—they're not BlackRock. I mean, BlackRock is a major yeah. force. They have these relationships for years. So, if a big Tra- asset manager, track record performance yeah, that matters, like all that stuff, yeah. And the and the institution, I will say, you're not going to get any bad press going into ESG. If it went into this, it might get some bad press, and that's just the way it is, right or wrong. Um, I will say the one thing, though, when it comes to these political sort of ESG, the one ETF idea that isn't out, that's political-ish, that everybody wants, is Nancy Pelosi's stock portfolio. <laughs> um, I, I actually, somebody said, who's the best active manager right now? And everybody was replying, Nancy Pelosi. So I think Nance is the best <laughs> political idea. Both sides of the aisle can agree that her portfolio kicks ass, and yeah, there should yeah, be yeah. an ETF tracking it. 
And some ETFs have come along and tried to capture like the legislation politically. And it kind of reminds me of uh, there was a guy named Ben Phillips who came out with the GOP and Dem ETF. I'm not sure if you had a chance to talk to him, but his ETFs were, were more about uh, investing in stocks that would benefit from legislation, not necessarily a political expression. And and I don't think those did that well either. Yeah, I think the cautionary tale in the idea that that politics and investing don't mix uh, was this company, I think it's called VentShares. And back in 2017, they came out with two ETFs, ticker symbol GOP and Dems. And these were actually not political funds. They were essentially trying to bet on companies that would win based on which party was in control of government, right? So if Democrats come in and they want to build highways and spend a bunch on infrastructure, hey, let's go buy these construction companies. They'll do well. Vice versa with the Republicans. Uh, had a lot of research to back this up. But he spent six months going around the country talking to wealth managers. And all of them said, listen, we understand what you're doing. It's clever. No way are we touching this thing with a 10-foot pole. Because if one of my clients is a Democrat, opens up his 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 statement and sees that he's invested in a GOP ETF, he's going to flip and vice versa. And so after about six months, it became clear to the guy running this, Ben Phillips, uh, this isn't working. There is no market for this. Like uh, Wealth managers by nature, especially institutional ones, are cautious, risk averse. They're not going to buy my products. Eventually, it shut down. I think what's interesting that, that, that Dan Grant and some of these other guys are doing is they're not trying to sell to an institutional investor necessarily. They're going out and they're flying their freak flag and saying, you know, we are the MAGA ETF. We're the Second Amendment ETF. We are actively flouting our political affiliations and hope that that's going to uh, bring us investors. And we'll we'll see if he's able to kind of uh, crack the losing streak that a lot of these political funds had had up until now. Um, one thing about that Dem GOP fund, which is so could there, he, there was a middle stage there where he said, oh, we're going to call it PLCY and it's going to be legislative alpha. <laughs> when, yeah, yeah. when that came out, people were like, whoa, you know, because they try to... There's all these marketing terms that pop up in the ETF world, and people got a kick out of that. But I could see that way he was like, well, it's not Dem or Republican. We're just going after alpha that results from legislation. But even that didn't work. Yeah. So I think the bigger the bigger challenge here is something that I told you when we talked about the article, which is almost all the money in ETFs goes to dirt cheap or shiny objects. Yes. And these are really neither, unless one of them catches fire and just starts destroying the S&P. Um, or they get below 15 basis points. I or, just think or, or, or Trump tweets about it, you know, like possibly maybe the, <laughs> I mean, not yeah, that he, I not, mean, that he, not that he do that without, uh, without equity in the, in the, in the company, but, but even sometimes or, or, like, or, or an active Twitter account. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Good. Well, good point. You know, honestly, if you were on that side, I, I think buying his SPAC would be a quick, easy way to, cause that exercises a lot at once. It's like, let me invest in this thing, doing this alternative Twitter which is what I sometimes advise, not advise, but I think about when we think about ESG. Instead of replacing Vanguard 500, what you could do is go after companies that are literally conservative companies. Trump's back would be a great example. And just buy a small little portfolio of concentrated stocks that have those. And that complements the cheap beta you already have. And that, to me, is more practical than trying to sell your Vanguard or whatever and plump in this thing that may or may not perform basically because you're pissed off or think you're changing the world. Mm. The, you know, the other thing that I'm just really curious to see how this plays out over the next year, especially as we walk up towards midterms here, Josh, 
is the thing that when it when MAGA came out and we did the episode, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, it effectively was a different day. And, you know, Trump as president and, and now having Biden as president actually kind of feels like it might work in their favor a little bit because they can rail against Biden and say, we have the antithesis for that. Right. And it's like that, you know, giving something to someone who who can use the the president sort of as a bully pulpit, you know, exactly. and say, invest in this instead. So I'm curious to see, Eric, I want, I want your read on this. If we, if we look at this in a year and we've got midterms, what's the, uh, what are the odds that this thing's cracked 150? Uh, very low, very low. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not Republican or Democrat. It's just the way portfolios and investors are behaving now. And this just doesn't fit into where we, this just flows. Don't go to stuff like this, but uh, Interestingly, what you just said, aren't cable news, like, don't Fox's ratings go up when there's a Dem president and, like, didn't CNN's ratings crash when Trump left? Like, there definitely is a market for this. Um, I I don't know. I just, outside of, like, maybe a fringe audience, it just doesn't seem to reach the mainstream of investors. Uh, But maybe I'll be proven wrong. I'm very doubtful. Yeah. Right. No, Joel, what you, what you said is exactly the spin that these funds give. Well, you know, when Trump was in the White House, people people could get their fix, no problem. Now he's been pushed off the stage. And uh, Grant said to me, actually, this is a quote. He said, you know, our funds offer the investor a mechanism to fight back. So I think they're going exactly for that. Like, we're out of power. This is a way to strike back at the establishment, at Democrats, whatever. We'll, we'll see if that's enough of a sales pitch to kind of, you know, amass meaningful scale going forward. Josh, I got one more question for you, which is one that we ask everyone who joins us on Trillions. And because you're, you know, kind of a ETF newbie, I'm, I'm curious to see if you have an answer to this. But uh, what is your favorite ETF ticker? Um, God, you know, I got to say MAGA because it's just so clever and, 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 and perfect. Right. And, and, and I do have to say, I'm surprised really that, that <laughs> it hasn't taken off more with the investors they're focusing on because, you know, you could spend a lifetime trying to think of a more perfect ticker symbol and not be able to improve on MAGA if that's the audience you're looking for. So, yeah, good call. To, to your point, Josh, on MAGA, MAGA had never had a period of outperformance. So I was always curious, well, maybe if it has its moment in the sun, then they'll come, but it yeah. did. For the first half of 2021, it was up 24%, doubling the S&P. It <clears> went on a nice run. It was, per- ironically, perfectly situated for the Biden. In fact, as soon as Biden got elected, I think started taking off. I don't, that's no figure. <laughs> but nobody bought it in that run. And I don't know, that's a, that's a bad sign, to be honest. Josh Green, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye. This podcast is made possible by Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary. Not realizing its potential, however, could be. Invesco QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.